Hello, you're listening to a spoiler-filled film conversation. Hooray! Rah, rah, Rasputin, saviour to the Russian queen. Hello, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> kind of impossible to look at anything about Rasputin without getting... Is it Borny M stuck in your head? Is that who that is? Yeah, Borny M. Hmm. But uh, funnily enough, they didn't use it in the as a you know song in the soundtrack for this. <laughs> it would be funny though. Anyway, uh, I'm Richard. Wave, wave, wave. With me to do the podcast is Anthony. Hello. And Abby. Hello. And this time we are tackling. And this week we are dealing with one of many of the interpretations of the tale of Rasputin. Um, Anthony picked it, so I guess he will fill you in so you don't get it confused with documentaries or other pieces of fiction or Anastasia or anything else. So, Anthony. Yeah, this will probably be one of the few times that you actually do need to know because there are a ton of films either just called Rasputin or with Rasputin in the name. Uh, So this one is Rasputin or also known as Rasputin, Dark Servant of Destiny. Uh, it was released in 1996. Uh, it's a HBO TV movie, which I didn't realise hmm. until watching it this time. Um, and obviously it's a biographical drama about uh, Grigory Rasputin, the infamous um, holy healer monk, um, about the last four years of his life uh, as he gets to know, like, the Russian royal family and becomes, like, the healer to the uh, the heir of the throne and just all the drama that surrounds it. Mm. Uh, the film was directed by Uli Edel, uh, written by Peter Pruce, and the film stars Alan Rickman, Greta Skaki, I think that's how you pronounce it, Ian McKellen, Freddie Finley, David Warner... John Wood, James Frain, Ian Hogg, Sheila Ruskin, Peter Jeffrey, and Julian Curry. Mm. Yeah, the um, the history of this man and this era is a spicy old meatball. Um, or, well, I mean, what's a more Russian-y food? I don't know. <laughs> borscht. Borscht. <laughs> spicy borscht to dig your teeth into, isn't it? Um, I mean, you can see there's a lot of... Uh, People who like to pick up the story of Rasputin and ha- examine it, or indeed re- replicate it in some way. So, you know, there's good reason, and it's probably because, uh, you know, he was a freaky-looking dude who did some freaky stuff, um, and also is at a pivotal time in history. I mean, Rasputin was basically a really strange man who is at a very just at the centre of a huge moment in his world history and then Russian history as well, isn't it? And so that, and paired with the fact that in photograph, I mean, he looks like how you'd imagine Satan to look. I think, that, you know, <laughs> his dark staring eyes and grizzled tramp-like uh, appearance uh, you know, c- captivates people's imagination, I think. Or he's yeah. magical. And he's kind of like one of those kind of like historical figures who have like transcended into like a literary figure if you know what i mean mm. it's it's like he's more even though he's a real person he feels like like on the kind of myth caliber of someone like 
you know, like Dracula and Frankenstein and stuff like that. Mm. Yeah, it's it's odd actually because it's easier now in like soberer times where there's less, uh, you know, superstition, less religion, uh, and people believe like you know less in the occult and the weird and you know. Uh, are less fearful of God. It's easier to sort of look at him as just a, a strange man, cult leader who got uh, involved in the, the lives of uh, the Russian royal family and got blamed then by society and many people uh, for various problems that occurred. So, it's, but it's e- it's easier to take a you know re- relaxed look at him now. But uh, perhaps people were more emotionally. Uh, vulnerable because the closest to the time you know things affected you more but also people are more you know up for a bit of satanic evil cults oh, what's oogie boogie creepy man they like people are scared by these things more so closer to the time I think so the more genuine fear of this uh, person when you're not in like 2020 or whatever it's only like World War One era but still, the science compared to the science now, there was so much unexplained stuff that you just, you had to lean on things that either pretended to explain it or just sort of told you not to worry about it. Yeah, and it's the perfect storm for the tabloids and uh, newspaper people and just the public love a royal story to this day. Um, or supposedly they do. The newspapers seem to think we do. I don't know if that we all do, but um, the, the royal stories sell because it's the rich, famous, and powerful lives of the other people who are different to us and aren't poor and cretinous or whatever. And then, so it's the fabulous, you know, even if you, you take it away from monarchy, people are still obsessed with the famous and the rich. And then mix into that, you know, uh, religious uh, connotations and then political connotations and poor rich division. There's so many aspects of this which mean that you can't help but endlessly think about it, I guess. It's sort of, it's so, it's one of those things, it's just so easy to be drawn into any, any, if you have an interest in any of the facets of the story, you could be easily drawn in. So, you know, I'm not surprised that we're eventually taking a look at a story based on him. But, that Mm. said, Anthony, you picked this one, and it's probably more to do with the fact that Alan Rickman is playing Rasputin than you're interested in Rasputin himself, right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, it, I don't know, it just... It, hearing about this film and, like, Alan Rickman as Rasputin, it just, like, everything just clicked in my mind, and it's just like, yeah, that, yeah, of course. I was like that when I saw it on TV. I didn't know it was going to be on. I sort of flicked to it, I was like, what's this? And then I saw him, and I was just, okay, I have to sit down now. Let's, <laughs> let's make ourselves comfortable, shall we? You're saying you and, natu- and naturally it helps that uh, Ian McKellen and, like, David Warner are in this as well. It's, oh, it's a cracking cast, fair play. Mm. Abby, did you say you'd seen this before? Yes, I've seen it on... I saw it on TV, but I didn't see the start of it, so later on I watched it properly. I got hold of it somehow, I don't remember how. And it's weird how it's not at all famous. Like, I read about it afterwards, and it's it's award-winning or something, isn't it? Yeah, I think it kind of, like, swept a lot of the awards. I think it got, like, Emmys and Golden Globes and SAG Awards. But then it's probably because it's a TV movie, 
and mm. that has a, I don't know, not a stigma, but a, a sort of, it's sort of separated out from uh, other like cinema released period dramas. I suppose it, it just predates when TV got legitimised. Yeah, plus it's like uh, it's not widescreen or anything. It's like uh, what's, it, what's it called? Not not four by four, like um, four by five. I don't know. I can't, I'm four not, by four three. By three. Four by three. Right. Well, it's not. You know, it's like squished up. You you get me. It's not letterboxed or anything. It's um, it's a HBO one. So it's this pre or post um, Sopranos. Pre, obviously, it's like the nineties. Sopranos started in two thousand and. Maybe two thousand, two thousand one. Oh, so it was. I was. I wasn't sure. No, no, it's way before. Yeah. Well, you know, it's when it, it was no, when. Yeah, you know, it's before anyway. Yeah, just. I don't think like just before, but it feels <clears> like this is. This is part of the start of kind of like, like the TV renaissance. Hmm. You know, if this had come after or during Game of Thrones, it maybe have would be. I mean, it would be more contemporary as well, but it would probably be thought of in higher regard, perhaps. Hmm. Who knows? But we, you know, we watched it uh, to see how you know we, it holds up, and uh, I hadn't seen it before. Uh, I mean, I, I'm fa- I'll say I have watched the odd documentary about Rasputin. I have a kind of shallow knowledge of that time period. Um, I, I think he's a fascinating character. Uh, the the real aspect of him and the sort of fantasiful element that people add to him. Um, always real. And um, so he's an intriguing figure, but I only know a little bit about the whole thing. It was interesting to see how a TV movie could flesh it out and bring it uh, realistic visuals that I perhaps was lacking from photographs and documentaries and talking heads and the basic uh, information people have about the time. So I, I don't think I'd seen any... Oh, other than Anast- I've seen Anastasia, which is complete departure from reality in every sense. <laughs> but, like, I'd seen Anastasia, so I had said that. But that doesn't really help you know what this is going to be about, per se. Um, so, I, like, I hadn't seen this before. How many... Well, what time round was this for you, Anthony? Um, I... I, did, I never watched it all. Uh, I think I'd, like, seen the tail end of it um, a long time ago on TV as well. So you and Abby have just caught bits by channel surfing, presumably. Mm. Given how obscure it is, there's a chance we're watching it at the same time in two different places. Yeah, but I mean, who? I mean, so you know, Alan Rickman is the selling point for you know the good reason to watch it because he's so. Uh, I mean, I think we all agreed Alan Rickman was pretty awesome. I mean, he's done some meh films, but mostly he's really a captivating actor. We we on the same page that so far. That's, yep. He did really well this time. What would you say Alan Rickman's like uh, best things are personally for yourselves? Die Hard. Hmm. Yeah. But it is good. I don't like to say Die Hard because it's so. I mean, this is this is most a popular one, I suppose. Mm. I really like um, him as uh, the sheriff of Nottingham. Oh, true. Oh. He's probably in Harry Potter or something, isn't he? That's I've only seen one, so I don't know very well if he's amazing in them all or what. Um, yeah, he's in all all the films. He's not like a, a main character, hmm. um, but he's an important character. I, I assumed he'd play Hermione, but uh, obviously wrong. <laughs> 
But yeah, like he's he he like he captures the role quite well. When you give him a chance to really get his teeth into something, he's tipped up every time. But yeah, Rickman, you know, he's good in little bit parts as well. Like he's quite good in uh, Dogma. He's quite good in his Jaika's Guide to the Galaxy. The little voice that he provides, anyway. Um, you know, he whenever he crops up, you go, "Oh, Alan Rickman." That's usually how I feel about him. If not, if he's not like you know performing a bigger, more substantial role like in this, well, he's definitely Ooh, Galaxy Quest. That's another one. That's oh yeah, he's very funny in that. Mm. That's the thing with Alan Rickman, isn't he? He's not just relied upon to act. He's usually uh, funny, like not funny like a comedian, but like amusing in his usually he like his frustration or his. Uh, vitriol or something, you know. Mm. His oh, he was good for he was good for Sark. Was yeah. Was Alan Rickman? He was a nice biting insult. Yeah, and then you know a bit of bonus Ian McKellen, uh, bearded up, uh, doing his best job to act genuinely, but come across as heterosexual. There's times in this, and it's like, oh, it's just like he actually wants to bang his wife. Cute. <laughs> That's acting for you, isn't it? <laughs> this is prob- like he's not known for being a particularly outlandish actor, but this is one of the most restrained performances I've ever seen from him, and it was mm. absolutely correct. Well, he has to contrast against. Um, he has to be the you know fuddy duddy royal, lot on his mind character, and then Gregory Rasputin has to be. You know, Alan, Alan Rickman as as Rasputin has to be mental and. Um, a contrast, anyway. So I think that's why you. Plus, you know, these people who see themselves as important. Well, let's not get into politics. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, mm. you, you obviously you have to have the contrast. If you just have a mad king and a mad monk and a mad woman and a mad child, it would be kind of crazy. So. Um, oh, since you mentioned the boy, I want to give uh, credit to that actor. I will. Find his name. Freddie Finley. Freddie Finley. He did a great job. As is well known on this show, I do not care for child actors, but he did very well indeed. Yeah, doing uh, the the same sort of sickly child that there is in Secret Garden. I mean, slightly more uh, normal and less... Ins- I don't know, <laughs> the Secret Garden guy. I, I, could, I kind of... I kind of could have enjoyed the child actor if he'd have been a bit more like this melancholy, morose child. <laughs> like it's oh never mind. I'm just writing my own fan fiction and that's uh, indulgent. Anyway <laughs> let's focus. Let me, I'll focus. But well speaking of child actors, sort of, uh there's very there's very little trivia on this film. But like the one bit of trivia I did find was do you remember like at the beginning the, uh you have a little brief glimpse of um Rasputin as a child Doing some stuff. Apparently, the guy playing um, Rasputin was a thirty-seven-year-old man. That can't be right. What? <laughs> that can't be right. That's got to be like a a clerical error or something. Wait, what? <laughs> like he would have had to have had. I mean, you know, okay, he could have been like uh, a teenager or twenty-something playing young, but the child we saw <laughs> could not have been thirty-seven years old. That doesn't make sense, like. <laughs> but it's the only it's the only like bit of trivia, like 
I could find from the film. There's not a I did look. I, I did look the guy up, and he had been starring in films from like 1981. So unless he was, you know, a literal baby in those films. Yeah, but he could. That doesn't make him 37 when he played young Rasputin. I know. I, like we've added. Like I thought. You know, Rasputin. The myth of Rasputin was easy to debunk or discuss, but now you've added down to this film where like, a child actor was thirty-seven. You're like, well, this got to be explained away with science. Um, that's, that's, I mean, I don't know what to. There's not enough detail there in, the, in that titbit, is there, to really criticise it? But you go, shut up, thirty-seven. <laughs> you could have had me at like you could have. I'll I'll meet you at like twenty something. Uh, but even then, he's like, "Was he got like a? Is he J- Benjamin Button? What's happened?" I, <laughs> there are other films. I mean, they're mainly like Russian films. Yeah, but maybe course. it's worth investigating in the future somehow to look at this guy and go like, "Oh I'm yeah, like a thirty-seven-year-old man." Anyway, it could be like some sort of clerical error, but I don't know. Complete bollocks. <laughs> it's a good place to start at the beginning. Uh, this movie kicks off with a little bit of context for who... I mean, we start with, like, oh, we found some bones in Serbia, 1990, who cares? It doesn't matter when they found the royal family's bones, particularly to the story, in my opinion. But we then get uh, a little, like, peasants all in, like, a farmhouse or something, and there's quite a large group of adults, and they are challenging a child to his ability to predict things or read people's minds or something, is it? Yeah, I, I think it's like, guess what's in their hand or something, or in their pockets. And then Rasputin, young Rasputin, or 37-year-old man Rasputin, <laughs> um, <laughs> he correctly guesses like something that's in one of their pockets and it's like a little picture of Mary or whatnot and there's some doubt about whether he can do do real like predictions and uh, you know he gets a bit of egg on his face initially because he can't quite you know suss out what one of the challengers is on about but then he fucking uh, pulls out the bag that this uh, I don't know peasant man or landlord or farmer or whatever he is like he has stolen someone's horse. So we don't know if Gregory Rasputin knew about it and then has grasped him up, or if he genuinely just knew magically. Um, but he it seems like he's right. And basically all the other peasants are like, fuck off, no way. Wait, did you? And then they basically take him and kick him to death in the snow. <laughs> and it's like, who oh, fuck? And I, I think there's a look on the younger Rasputin's face of like, oh... I can't remember what he says. Do you remember what he says? Like, like to sort of go. Oh, this will be, this will be handy. This. I think. I think ability. he like kind of whispers, "God is good." Yeah. So I guess in that sense, it could be, uh, he's buying into his own hype, or you know, he is magical. You know, or you know, who knows? Mm. <laughs> he sort of. He sort of, like the thing is, young Rasputin is not going to get. I don't know, made fun of or beaten up by these people. <laughs> Because they've all gone, you did do it, you prick, and you know they've decked him outside, and so I guess they put that in to suggest. I, this is the thing with the film, actually. Uh, it takes the interesting route of going uh, presenting the mythology. So it's it's printing the myth, 
going running with uh, the hearsay and the rumour that, that people uh, have put together about the events. And it's saying, what if it was true? This is maybe how it went down. And then they've taken the position of, well, we're never going to confirm he's a charlatan that's just conning people and taking advantage of the naive and using religion and learning from the things that happened to him to manipulate events to put himself in a position of power. Or is he like this actually ensorcelled god? Is he like a like a blessed man who has seen the Virgin Mary and has uh, an ability to uh, affect the future and know what people's fates are going to be and have healing powers? So, do you guys take that away that it was like kind of going well? What if it's true? But what if it's it still could be fake? But it could be true. Was that one of the things I liked about that is by making it from more or less the point of view of the boy, it meant that you didn't know what Rasputin was thinking or feeling. Yeah, it's all the narrator is Alexei, and he's um, presented as being biased towards thinking that Rasputin was the holy man that he said he was, and misunderstood uh, by greater society, isn't it? And it kept the ambiguity then, which I liked. It was a good framing device. I, I thought that was... It was better than just presenting it and then having people criticise it, because it's very easy to criticise... Because there's, there's some of the some of the facts are disputed, um, but I mean that you know you can't really argue with um, a dead young man who they've made up the thoughts of. So you know, maybe it's in poor taste. I don't know. Anthony, what do you think? Uh, did you like this? Do you think there was an ambiguity, or did you think they were leaning one way or the other more so? Yeah, there was there was an ambiguity. I do think they were leaning slightly more on uh, not less mythical powers and more um, influential kind of Darren Darren Brown style thing. (laughs) There was a question mark Um, on whether Rasputin believed his own shit, though, wasn't there? mm. I think I think that's kind of part of it. Like a lot a lot of people who. claim to be like faith healers i think there's uh, a certain part of it that they they have to believe themselves otherwise they couldn't really be doing it if you know what i mean yeah there's that thing of uh you you almost fall into that line of work or into that way of being so it's not that all people start off as con men and to, and and charlatans who deliberately try and do something, but like this, is probably quite a common thing where you get the odd sign. You're religious enough, or you believe in something spiritual enough, and then things happen, coincidences and events in your life put you on a path, and then your decisions uh, are based in part by what you think and want to happen. And then it also in coincidence and like, like you know you you can decide to say things and do things and then you're not sure whether you're saying them or you're being influenced by some greater power, and you can kind of convince yourself. Uh, so there's no, there's I think it happens in both cases where you get literal people who know exactly what's going on with their conning people, and then others who are like, my God, I am a chosen person, you know. And I was I yeah. thought it was believable that Rasputin, I, I I bought the the pitch of this movie which was. He could have just grown up this peasant who gets fortunate enough to get into that circle and uses his gifts uh, in a way 
to help himself to whatever he wants um, without really being evil and trying to deliberately manipulate. But then, like Abby said, because it's the point of view of Alexei, Rasputin is not saying, I'm doing this, I am doing that. And he's not clearly showing his motives throughout the film, really, other than you can see that he's uh, like a sinner, I suppose. And I suppose, like, you, you, there's never a clear kind of, like, historical um, story about Rasputin. I'm guessing a lot of it is probably taken from all the rumours and speculation that, um, like, the newspapers at the time would have been printing or, like, all the political opponents of the royal family would have been spinning and stuff like that. You, you can, like, take the facts, like, this guy was a monk who claimed to be a healer, mm. and he seemed to be having an effect. Like, I'm guessing that's, as facts, that's really all we know. Yeah, he, he literally was a peasant. He literally did go and become a member of the royal household or work for them as, a, like, a priest, monk, faith healer. He did have the year of... Uh, you know, he did... he. He did have some influence within the royal court, and he did have followers, like these women who would sleep with him or uh, be, div- you know, like 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 any like a like a even like a John Lennon will have people like the the clingers on and like the kind of, I don't know why I picked John Lennon of all people, but like <laughs> so maybe it's the long hair, the beard, the robes and stuff. But like you you have this cult of personality thing that did happen. He was popular and hated, and. Uh, you know, so he, a lot of it is like undisputable, but then there's a lot of you know hearsay and uh, case studies and people's accounts of things, which are then are they reliable or not? And then people like to build on that with myths and rumor, and so you know we'll never really know the full picture and how realistic. But I bought the movie setting out this stall of yeah, so we're not going to say if he was a dick or not. Well, he you know he's a dick in that he behaved like an arsehole at times, but we're not saying he had one over on everyone, because he's a tragic figure as well, because he gets killed. Spoilers. Um, but I, I I bought what the film was presenting as acceptable. That's the thing. I was, I'd sort of forgotten that it was based on true events until World War One happened, and I was like, oh, shit, yeah. This is, this is in a time that is real. Yeah, it was a hundred and so years ago, and it did, you know, a lot of this did happen, but not maybe quite as shown. And you sort of, I don't know about you, but before I saw this, I thought Rasputin's story was a lot older. Like, I thought he would, he lined up with, like, um, Vladimir Impaler or something. Oh, right. No. But no, much later, borderline contemporary. Yeah. Weird. There's a lot of similarities to him and Stalin's story, actually. Like, these peasants who came out of nowhere to being important figures and evil and... I mean, Stalin's a different kettle of fish, but they certainly one follows the other anyway. It's odd. It is odd actually to think of it as, yeah, this Christian cult leader monk who was crazy and weird was killed and got the royal family. Their 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 murders were all to do with uprising revolt in Russia, and then communism took over, and then what followed with communism happened. And you go, oh, those seem more separate, don't they? Mm. thematically mainly but no they're literally one event following the other yeah more or less that's the other thing this film focuses on a very 
narrow corridor of that timeline. So we we see world events like we get the death of Franz Ferdinand being a key point in the lives of the royals and kicking off World War One essentially. But there's no there's not a lot of historical context around the monarchy because you know the, everyone's sort of worried. We got political figures within the royal um, palace, but it doesn't bleed into the film that much, does it? No, it's oddly separate in that way, which I like, because while he was attached to the royal family, it's not like he was deep and dirty with the actual like political machinations in and of themselves. Not directly. I mean, he it, it's sort of implied that he had enough influence. He had the year of the the Queen or the... the how do you say Serena. 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 And then, therefore, she had the year of her husband, the, the Tsar... And there, and then that not, you know, so the, he had a, he had, he was within the row of dominoes within the Russian monarchy, certainly. And then people run with that as he was a, certainly a blamed and hated figure, probably because he was so debauched and freaky looking and other, wasn't he? And Alan, Alan uh, Rickman is not really ugly enough to play Rasputin, <laughs> is he? No, <laughs> no. When I was looking up, I had a quick look on Letterboxd to update I'd see Rasputin and two out of the three reviews I saw were just about how Alan Rickman was hot and they would have liked him to have one said I'd, I'd let him heal me and the other one was just like I didn't know he was so hot oh my god and then on the other hand though those people are forgetting that everyone banged Rasputin as well <laughs> I think it didn't that tramp's beard and like disgusting hair parting that makes him like the balding hair parting and the like incredibly dark staring eyes and the re- like receded eyes that he you know he, can, he they, I've seen the odd picture of his booty it's like oh yeah he's all right looking like normal he's normal looking but the most of the, the famous pictures he just looks like the world's creepiest withered wizard I've ever seen so yeah like it's just no accounting for charisma yeah, but also according to places like QI, he stank and was like the most awful, like drunken. He was genuinely like a, a tramp in priest's clothing. So, I will, I will say, like, yes, Alan Rickman is far too nice looking to be Rasputin. But there, there, there was. I don't know if it's just a contrast because he was always surrounded by like the royalty and stuff. But he did look like he smelled. Yeah, and he stood out amongst amongst all of the people in formal suits with medals and regalia on. Like he was a usually pretty scruffy man. Uh, if, if you know, sometimes he's pared down in like a a sort of what's that thing called the cassock. Um, mm. But you know, especially when he he looked at he, Alan Rickman transformed into being more Russian, the more sort of drunkenly he was behaving and also the way his shirt would be hanging out and op- half open and you go now we're talking <clears throat> now you're starting to look like a reprobate and oh. belie- like he just I think the performance Alan Rickman does transforms him further than his appearance because his appearance they do mm. their best to give him a scraggly beard that's not quite long enough and his hair's his hair's actually messier than Rasputin's seems to be in photographs because he had particularly lank flat disgusting hair whereas Rickman's is very chaotic and messy and I think that's to emphasize his grubbiness but actually doesn't look as much like Rasputin perhaps would have there was um I had I hadn't actually twigged that it, he wore a cassock 
because it was so, um, he wore it so casually. So one of my favorite moments of the film was after he'd been uh, chewed out by the czar. He goes, he trashes his room and he just stares at his coat, then screams and starts ripping it off. And I didn't understand why he was suddenly angry at his coat until that (laughs) moment where he just said he's wearing a cassock. Yeah, you can you can interpret that scene as well as like is this his inner frustration because he's booted out again, or is it a genuine why don't they believe me God moment? You know, mm. I think the idea with Rush Booting is he doesn't do himself any favors. Like so, he could probably have become a master manipulator if he didn't scoff up every piece of uh, wine and crumpet and and crumpet <laughs> available. <laughs> I was going to say strumpet, but yeah. Strumpet and crumpet, yeah. So, <laughs> like, the fact that he wouldn't tidy himself up or didn't or did, didn't care to, it was just, he indulged almost, like, I think the idea being he was sort of, as a cult leader, he was perhaps more about, like, being divine through sin than anything else. Like, he would, he was so, you know... He was so hungrily devour food, and uh, you know, probably it was the, the like the film sort of suggests this is a peasant, an uncultured man coming into the refined world of the monarchy. And he, he says at some point as well, where it's like, before I had too little, and now I have too much. Yeah, which I thought was a really nice way to put it, where he couldn't cope before because he didn't have anything. Now he's got too much, and he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, so the film hints at this motivation that he's come from so little that he now wants to heap everything onto his plate and he like he's just he is he does everything to excess. And if he conformed more, if he'd have had some master plan to like stay on top and manipulate the world, then he would have done better to like compromise and present himself better, but he didn't care mm. enough, did he? He was more about in- fucking loads of different women, really. In that way, it suggests that he isn't a master manipulator. Because if he was a master manipulator, he wouldn't have fucked it up as badly as he did. Mm. Yeah. In the big picture, I guess, yeah. Well, you know, Alan Rickman playing it is uh, coming across initially like he's a blessed man. So he turns up in uh, Moscow, is it? St. Petersburg. St. Petersburg, right, at the palace. Like, we get a few location shots, but like, no, we don't even see. No, yeah, I think it's because I saw like Moscow on like one of the DVD boxes for this thing, and I was like, I don't even remember that being in there. But I did remember anyway. Like, I'm not good with my landmarks at the best of times. No, it, you're not even good with countries some of the time. Yeah, this is in uh, Mongolia, right, guys? <laughs> so uh, he rocks up after he has had one. We get the first Alan Rickman bit is basically he gets beaten by some blokes for like they tip over his cart that he's transporting and beat him up a bit and uh then he has a, a moment of divinity where he sees like he he seems to have seen the holy mother in the sun or something doesn't he so he's sort of had this mm-hmm. vision um and then he takes that to some orthodox priest looking dudes bishops or whatever and tells them i've been touched by mary isn't it yeah, and their test was quite lacklustre, if I remember correctly. <laughs> Where it was just like, they asked him, they asked him again, and then they believed him. Is that how that went down? Well, he, the, the there was a moment where the bishopy-looking, beardy, orthodox uh, Russian Christian-y 
I can't. I'm not sure if he was a bishop or a monk or what, but he's a priest or whatever. And he touches uh, Rasputin to feel the power of Mary, where Mary touched him, supposedly. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a moment of like, oh, what's he gonna do? Oh, he's taken aback. This is a holy man, so he's kind of like the the idea is that the the orthodox Christians have accepted him and they've gone, yeah, it's real and stuff, which, you know. It's boring. Why? Why not accept that some peasant man has actually been touched by Mary? When, you know, <laughs> what's the what's the other one thing that's going to happen? No, I don't think so, mate. See you later. So it doesn't matter if it's genuinely divinity or they just did it over kind of. Which is, I don't know. Maybe it's like everyone with Rasputin, where they believe him. Like there's something about him where people mm. are willing to buy that this man, like he's he's got that but hypnosis they're... thing going on. But then they're so hypocritical later when they were like, were you lying? And it's like, well, you're the one who touched my head and was all... Ah! Yes, that's uh, nicely bittersweet, isn't it, when they start to turn on Rasputin themselves. This is the thing, actually. The movie presents a Rasputin, a villainous figure from history, as quite sympathetic, really. I thought that was not a just, move. Not just him, like, pretty much all of the royal family. I suppose you can say, you know, they're other than the Tsar, they you can't really judge them that much. But uh, I think uh, Tsar Nicholas comes off very well in this, considering his history. Yeah, There's very few figures in this that actually come off poorly. Hmm. Like you don't see much of the rioters and all those guys, but there is. They are given a small amount of context, so you can see why they're doing what they're doing. And then with even the guys who assassinate Rasputin in the end, they're given some motivation that you can acknowledge, even if you don't agree with it. It's because every side of the story are within their own bubble, aren't they? So the monarchy are sympathetic in that they're just people who live in this privileged bubble that believe their jobs are handed to them by Christ. And that god wants them to be rule and that they don't that you know there's no sense that they have contempt for the people unless the people have come at them first there's a sort of everyone thinks they're right the poor think they're right because they're having an awful time so they're vindicated in their violence and uprising which they kind of were and you know the monarchy are vindicated in that they're they're the establishment as they haven't you know, they could have done they could have done better, but they're only doing what their predecessors did. They're not within their bubble, they haven't done anything that weird. And then mm. again, you know, you've got cousins within the royal families turning on each other, power hungry. There's definitely a huge heap of villainous behaviour, but to themselves they're not necessarily doing anything wrong. And that's the like nuances of everyone in, in the context of history, isn't it? It's like, well from their perspective, they weren't necessarily tyrants no um but yeah i mean it's i mean whose side you take isn't it like i mean obviously you feel for the poor people who've not got enough food and are starving and are being you know to this day you know the power structure in russia is such that the the rich and powerful tell do whatever they want and the poorer people have to fucking just deal with the cards they got you know Mm. so you know, so it, it seems brutal when like the peasant class are murdering the royals, but it also seems like, like Anthony was saying, it is a sympathetic picture because you know these were fucking, uh, you know, 
pricks like who were the empower and could have done a lot more to you know the the thing was not to go to war with everyone and to fight off your enemies it was to you know treat people better and have give them reason not to revolt i suppose but there's so many fucking facets of it i mean who the fuck can unpick it all isn't it but it, it was a, as a film it sort of says oh poor royal family <laughs> poor them eh and it is poor mm. though because they were bloody murdered it was <laughs> as well thing. i think that's the they did well to make everyone sympathetic enough so that when people were murdered you were like well that's not on it's like they weren't like yeah they weren't the ideal kind of person because even the prime minister you didn't especially like but he didn't deserve to get shot in the heart you know yeah all of the political figures around the king including the king himself is also you know a bit um What's the word? Skeptical of the powers of Rasputin. I suppose we, if we talk about them, it would help. But the people who advise the king are basically portrayed as doubters who are like, come on, you can't let uh, some sort of religious figurehead who's creepy and weird have any sort of power within our court. Like, this outsider can't, shouldn't have any influence. Get rid of him. He's creepy. Ugh, look at him. <laughs> and he's fucking all of our women and stuff. So they didn't like him. And they're sort of proven wrong because the curses that Rasputin claims will come true do come true. Like all the times where he says, oh, bad things will happen. Bad things do happen. So he's like, this is like a film presenting the idea that coincidence um, really paid off for Rasputin. Or if not coincidence, they had genuine cursing powers or something. Or just, or just being able to read the political climate. Yeah, it wouldn't That's take what much. I was going to say. Go on. Like, there is a certain, like, I'm very low down in this group. What's but that mean? It's, but it's, it's, there's a section of people who can very quickly assimilate information and sort of extrapolate what's going to happen from it. And it's, he could very easily be one of those people where he just looked at everything and went, well, yeah, if this carries on this way, this is obviously going to happen. But no one else seems to have picked up on it. Yeah, like uh, civil war was brewing, like and, every, and lots of people knew about it. But you could have, you could say with an element of certainty when you're backed up against a wall. Hey, look, the if you turn on me, it's going to be awful because chances are it's going to be awful anyway. And if it's not awful, eh, it's not awful. So there's not a problem, is there? <laughs> it's sort of like you know, well placed guessing from Rasputin, I suppose, isn't it? Hmm. That's the thing with all uh, charlatans or people who can predict things. They're never specific. They're never like at this date, at this time. They give themselves broad parameters in which to be right. And then people who uh, are susceptible to that kind of thinking can get, you know, convinced fairly easily. Especially when, like, the whole premise of this is that uh, Alexei, the, the heir of the throne, is a really ill young man. And his life is on a knife edge. And then once Rasputin is put into the picture as this faith healer, and basically he turns up and shocks people by just being disgusting looking and disheveled and being confident and not, like, staid and, you know, reserved. He just bar runs in, really, to the bedroom and makes some vague predictions that seem to be correct. Like, he knows about the leg of the child. And what's the off-remark? He basically says in an off-remark, oh, stop giving him some sort of medicine, like a blood thinner or something, isn't it? Opiates, I think he says. Right. No more opiates. 
And then because of that, you know, that's the piece of medical advice that affects the kid and benefits him in reality. In reality, you know, it, it that would be the reason the kid made the the recovery. And then, but you go, well, this madman came in and whispered some stuff to our kid, and the kid seems to like him. And then he got better, so let's attribute all of that to the healing powers of Rasputin. And let's be taken, like, you know, people were taken in by his sort of weird charisma, isn't it? Mm. Do you make of uh, Alan Rickman storming in and being a, a, you know, the way he performed Rasputin, I guess? He was very shouty. (laughs) Which is is great. Now, I was going to say, I don't think there was one entrance into a room that I didn't like. (laughs) Or exit. Frequently, yeah. Cling to a doorway and fall down all week when you've absorbed the sins and uh, fear and pain from someone. He trashed a room like a trooper. (laughs) He 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 cavorted and danced pretty well, I thought, as well. (laughs) Um, Were you guys distracted at all by the um, just general soft Russian accents that everyone had? Yeah, a little bit. I, I it think... was weird that Ian McKellen dropped his very briefly mm. in a scene where he was semi-romancing his wife. It's it's odd to... Like, you have to commit to you one way or the other. You either go, we're not going to do accents, we're just British people doing this story, you'll all just get over that. Like, and I, I think that would have been the route to go in this case. It's just do your own voices, more or less. But they want to give these people a Russian-y vibe, so they sprinkle in a bit of accent, but they never fully just do Russian accents, do they? It's no. very, it's kind of all over the place between British and a kind of hokey Russian accent with these people. And I just think it was distracting at times. I think it was the shrewd thing to do, though, because if they'd have gone all in and they hadn't have nailed the accent, that would have been even worse. Mm, maybe. But then the halfway place isn't satisfying because you just, every now and again, oh, like you just, they just, some scenes it was like, oh, that kind of works for what you're doing. But if you don't keep it up, then why bother, isn't it? I don't know. It was one of the things we go, this is British actors showing, look, we could do Russian a bit, but not actually going the extra mile to Daniel Day-Lewis that shit and really stick the landing, you know? I don't know. It, um, did you like it then, Anthony, or no? Uh, it's it, it, distracting at times. Um, the, like, the only thing I could think of to fault Alan Rickman in his performance is, like, sometimes the accent was a bit off. Yeah, because so, some people are like, oh, he chose the scenery, and it's like, no, no, well, A, A enjoy that. When people are chewing the scenery... Mm-hmm go along with it because it's usually pretty fun when people do that but I actually think what Rickman and the people making this were going for is that Rasputin is this heavily debauchous is that a word? debauchous character I'm going to go with it as if it, it is now Yeah, <laughs> he's this uh, disgusting figure and he's a like he doesn't care he's a drunk and a, a lustful person and a, a creepy sort of you know um, le- he's, he's he's not so much that he's lecherous, but he doesn't care about formality and he doesn't obey their rules, society's pol- polite society's rules, and he's a sloven, 
decadent bloke. And that's completely in contrast with what you'd expect a holy man to be. And so that's a problem. And plus he's creep. And plus he's politically uh, awkward as well for some people. But it meant that Alan Rickman could really scene steal. Where, like, there's loads of really great ones. Like Two of my favourite moments with him is one where he started to be taken seriously within the 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 royal family and he's got all these female followers and there's this one some well-to-do lady who's in his uh, bedchamber or something and he's like on his knees talking about god and saying how basically he's divine and if you want to be with god you have to be with him and basically like fucking him is like fucking god so you may as well cop off with me and he's like on his knees and feeling her up and seducing her i guess and i thought that was a really powerful and fun scene like, and then after, straight after that, we cut to loads of women all crowding around his door just to go, mm-hmm. look, we, you get it? Like, women were fucking throwing themselves at him, despite being, like, a long fingernailed tramp man. Oh, it was inferred he was well endowed. Also. Oh, it wasn't inferred in this film. I mean, in real life it was, but in this film, the other scene I was going to mention, actually, Abby, was the scene mm. where he gets his uh, John Holmes out. No, we didn't actually see anything. Listen no. Up. Just, just so you don't get your hopes up there. I think that if Alan Rickman had matched the rumour, I think he would have done it. He would have been like, now's my chance to shine. (laughs) Not that I'm speculating Alan Rickman wasn't fabulously endowed. I'm not saying that, but maybe he was too... He was probably... Let's not. Yeah. (laughs) But the scene where he's drunkenly... like There's like a big formal... Well, there's a big party, and he's absolutely going for it. He's, he's like, he's got his shirt open. He's got a big, quite a red shirt to contrast with the other times where he's most, you know, paired. Uh, well, just to just to be a contrast to everything. So he's in his red shirt, and he's cavorting about and dancing with women and drinking uh, heathenistically, I guess, and b- behaving like a complete twat and spitting out wine. And all of the fuddy duddies are like, "Oh, come on now, bloody." goes too far and they try and throw him out basically even comes to loggerheads with one of the I think the man who kills him or something isn't it like the nephew of the czar or whatever but yeah uh, you know Tsarina's nephew I think it is but I, I loved Rickman jumping on tables and shouting and saying the queen has like kissed this hand and tr- trusts me and like fuck you guys you know I it really enjoyed him being the centre of everyone's attention that must have been a great thing to do as well yeah really kick loose and like like, that's the thing is he gets to be so dramatic he's always falling to his knees and crying out things and you know must have got to eat quite a lot because he's like (laughs) stuffing things in his face a lot yeah there's lots of um Moment. Some of my favourites were, I think he was like drunkenly feeding like a stone lion statue some wine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Falling over laughing. Uh, I like the scene where he was like having dinner with the um, with the family as well. Yes. And just not obeying any rules whatsoever. Yeah, I get that again based on real like things people said about him is he was like really grubby and just got dirty fingers and got his hands in there and 
Well, see, like he's just basically uh, they, they play it in the film a bit like oh he's not he's avoiding etiquette, but it is just like I'm just gonna help myself some potatoes, and the kid Alexi is slightly charmed by him because uh, he's behaving so differently, and then <laughs> doesn't he start telling stories about like monks fucking in the woods or something? Yeah, <laughs> but he doesn't get to finish. But yeah, he starts using choice language and then builds to a story of, oh, I, was, I walked a long way, I'm really great and all this, and uh, starved myself. I didn't even wank off or nothing. <laughs> I went all that way, I didn't even wank off. Uh, but then I realised God was like, oh, look, it's body, you bought the body's for you, you can do whatever you want. That, like, just basically Rasputin offhandedly says, I can do whatever the fuck I want because the body is for me and the soul is for God, so <laughs> I'm going to get my fucking kicks. But he does get, he does build to a crescendo where he's basically, uh, where McKellen is like, the fuck, <laughs> outside mate, you're getting fired, and not for the last time in this film. <laughs> he was he a good scene. Out the palace a lot. <laughs> well, he would though, wouldn't he? I mean, in real life, he was always falling in and out of favour because you save someone's life once, supposedly. And that's well and good, but you act like a cunt for a fucking months on end. <laughs> and, like people, it's like keep it on the fucking down. If you're gonna fuck prostitutes, like many sinning priests must do, keep it on the down. If you're drunken and t- like, if you're gonna, you know, do it fucking behind closed doors and not so publicly, not so much. For God's sake, someone cut his nails, you know, like. But uh, that doesn't work for Rasputin, so I guess. But then that's the thing with the film, isn't it? it keeps saying, oh, something bad happens. Get call up old Rasputin, get him to do a quick heal over the phone, or indeed hire him back again. Um, I, but it did. It all, they use these little scenes like the lion statue thing just to go. Oh look, he sleeps with prostitutes and is drunk and in the street. He just you can find him as a peasant in the street. You know, he's started as a peasant with claws sewn together out of bits, and he's still, even though he's like a uh, a holy man now, he's still an absolute like legend. <laughs> get him, bitch. When they go looking for him later on, he's actually sleeping with like homeless people. Yeah, blends right in. I'm surprised they found him. <laughs> but they have to keep scraping him off the tarmac and bringing him back because the little boy, Alexi, gets ill. Um, and also, he seems to bring comfort and like he seems to genuinely befriend the family. At least the film presents him as a a friend that they could trust at a, at a time where there was hardly anyone that the royal family could trust in. Um, so yeah, it's, I mean, it's a fascinating story to to do, but they have to run over it quite quickly, I felt. Like, we get these scenes to just tell you just enough and move on, you know? Hmm. Did you guys have any problems with pacing or what they kept in? So what they could have perhaps indulged us in? Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not, like, you know, I, I, I know the bare threads of, like, the story, and I, I you did get the sense of there's a lot they're kind of like leaving out, um, but um, but then that it was a fairly quick placed film. I mean, it never got like slow or boring or anything mm-hmm. like that. Um, so I, I feel like that was the right choice. You know, you kind of like you have to focus it. The film's called Rasputin. You know, it's not called um, Tsar Nicholas the Second. So you you know you need to whilst there is a whole you know, story there, which you could, like, tap into a lot more. Um, it's not about that. It's about Rasputin. Yeah, you could definitely do a mini-series on this story. 
But if you're going to do a movie, you have to go at a brisker pace, I guess. Mm. And just infer things and leave them so that we can interpret them. And, like, you know, the film didn't seem too worried with clarity. It more wanted to suggest everything that happened along the way, or could have happened along the way, and let us conclude things from it. I like the way that they used um, vintage footage to give a little context and a little passage of time every now and again. Um, we also had some actual like film footage didn't we, of crowds and people smashing gates and smashing windows for bread and rioting and shooting. Like they they had just enough to so show the outer world without creating characters of peasants or political figures really outside the gates of uh, the palaces and things. And you you know because why not take the opportunity to rag on modern cinema? We didn't keep looking back at this one Russian peasant family and how horrible their time was. <laughs> no, we certainly... <laughs> like, well, let's have just that one family that Superman can save sort of vibe to it, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think in a way, it wanted to keep the politics as a backdrop. So assassinations uh, would be reported and uh, the effects would then you know, play out within the royal court. But we do you know, we get the odd, you know, exciting bit of someone getting shot in a theatre like Lincoln or like uh the report of someone who unexpectedly has died or started a war or what's going on with the outer world. But we don't focus on it. It's about the household that Rasputin is uh in, isn't it? And more about him and Alexei and the 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 way he had to kept be being brought back into their lives, but, but despite being a very divisive figure. So he's got a cult following, but he's hated by the media and the public are frightened of him to some extent. But then they don't really see him. It's all hearsay because it's all behind, you know, closed doors and closed fences and, you know, in well, the opulent palaces. It's not really out there. Oh, well, when he's drunk in the street, I guess, but... I was about to say, you don't really know where he's going to get pissed, so... Sure. But, you know, to the the bulk of people, he's like this mysterious figure that you can easily caricature and blame. Um, but then he is, he, you know, he was a prick, like, one way or the other. <laughs> even even if you're charmed by Alan Rickman, like, he still was, you know, a dickhead. <laughs> Either way, like. And then, you know, um, what, what are the other key scenes to the sort of... Because it becomes the downfall of the royal family after a while. Because it, sort of, it takes a point of like, oh, what are we going to do? We just Arasputin can save our child. And he, every time we fire him, he basically says, you're all going to die. There's going to be so much pain and suffering and blackness and fuck you. And then he's pulled back. And it's like the tragedy goes away briefly, but uh, it's always well, going to he... come over the hill, isn't it? You know? Well, he had that crisis for a bit where he wasn't having visions, and that's when they lost faith in him again. But then he knew he was going to die. He left that note, and he told her exactly what was going to happen. Yeah, there's an implication. I mean, maybe as a if you're a charlatan, you can write a bunch of notes just in case you prove yourself right after the fact. Or is it almost like a threat to someone that if you don't keep me on, uh, I... I have the now that I've saved you. I also have the power to ruin you, sort of thing. And uh, so, I, they they play it a little bit like Rasputin 
didn't have he couldn't say oh happy times around the corner because you've hired me back like that's not happening because history isn't reflecting that i can't make times be good so maybe i'm having a crisis of faith it suggested maybe he perhaps was getting doubt in his own abilities like as if he bought bought into them but then you know maybe he did buy into i don't know like it's sort of well what are you doing guys he didn't well 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 it becomes a sticky point when you start going oh was he you know what does god exist and was god blah 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 you know like not, not religiously let's not worry about it but the film presented it like maybe rasputin was genuinely worried about his own abilities as well even though he didn't really have a say in the matter, I guess. Who knows? What do you, I, mean, I don't know. I'm getting stuck in the mud here. What do you guys think? He he gets his doubts when he starts um, giving advice on... Um, what Tactical was it, like, warfare? Yeah, warfare and stuff. And I think it's kind of presenting it like this is not stuff he would know. Like, he knows people and he knows like how to talk to people and how to interact with people. But he doesn't necessarily know, like you know, war tactics and politics and stuff like that. It's a flip of a coin for him at that point. Which, if mm. the coin flips wrong, that means God isn't supporting him with it within one context. Or you know, he's flag like he's not like you say. If he's able to read the bigger political picture and tell where times are going, it's easier to predict that. But if he's genuinely being asked what people should do, then it is a coin toss whether it goes his way and you can't f- flip the the coin your way every time like so mm. there's also an argument to be made for you can't necessarily work for the premise that the war was winnable at all but it's like should we do this and should we do that well you fuck both ways so do this i guess yeah it's like he got enough luck to have the child Enough influence and luck to make be like have the kid's illnesses land the right way for him. So, at times where he was there, the kid did better. Maybe because he was then being a friend, but also, you know, hypnotizing him. But, you know, there was a suggestion that maybe he's hypnotizing, maybe he isn't. But whatever influence Rasputin had, maybe it was coincidence, maybe it wasn't. But like, the kid does better when he's there, and that keeps landing his way. But then after a while, it's always you can you can never keep your run of luck going, as it were. So once it runs out for him, it kind of runs out for the country. But then that the whole question is, oh, it, like it doesn't really say, oh, Rasputin vindictively made World War One happen because he was not trusted enough. It just happens at a time where he was at a low point in his life and and at, murdered at a time where there was a great deal of bloodshed. So it's more of a parallel, isn't it? Rasputin's downfall is also the downfall of the arist- aristocrats, essentially. Mm. He says at one point that he is Russia, and he does die with Russia, although the Russia they know. The old Russia, yeah, which is weird because he yeah. is a peasant as well, so he should naturally would fall on the sort of revolutionary side. It's just that he's worked his way into the upper echelons already. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, you know, but the the movie goes with right. So the the people who are out for Rasputin are going to rally around him now. So it's basically the. Uh, embarrassed nephew of uh, the Queen is going to has hatched a scheme to kill Rasputin. They're basically, they try to they phone him up and go, "Oi, we want another chore, uh, having doubts and stuff. Do you want to pop round and uh, 
help my help my wife or whoever it is is one of my family members is ill. I need you to come over and do a blessing. And he's like even reluctant as well, isn't he? He's like, oh fuck off! I got like other stuff to do. <laughs> got uh, wine to drink and prostitutes. He twigs and... at a certain point. He realizes halfway the point. He says no. Then they try and coax him, and he's like, Ugh, I can come in three days. And they're like, no, you have to come now. And you can see in his eyes that he twigs, like, they're going to kill me. They, they play it a bit like in mafia movies, don't they, where um, you know they're, they're potentially going to put a hit out on you, and they're, they're your friends have phoned up and have gone like, oh, we need you for a thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, come round. You're not going to elaborate like you would normally. No, no, you need to come round now, though. And it's like, oh, shit. But I can't not go. <laughs> so it, it, to me, it felt like um, mafia movies where they're going to kill someone within the fold, isn't it? You know. Mm. Mm. I didn't know if I was supposed to find it funny when they couldn't kill him. <laughs> oh, because it was quite farcical that they were trying to murder him and he wouldn't die. Mm. But it wouldn't. It doesn't really work tonally with the rest of the film to have like a funny scene in that way. The situation in and of itself was amusing, so I wasn't sure how I was supposed to react. I think if you didn't know what the history book said, and this was new to you, you would find it quite tense, because you know they're poisoning his uh, cakes or whatever, and you know they're trying to kill him, and you don't know if he's going to get away. If you don't know he's gonna, if he's going to get away, or you don't know what's going to happen, then it could be quite tense, but most people are like, well, obviously... One of the famous things about Rasputin is he was either difficult to kill or immortal or whatever. Side note, was he eating split donuts? I mean, they looked kind of like uh, sort of split donut profiterie roll type things. Hmm. They looked very really nice. It's, it's I like you, you know they were laced with poison and you're still like, oh, I'd love one of them. <laughs> <laughs> you're like that old guy who when they when they shoot Rasputin he's like gonna drink the fucking wine like a madman he's like what the fuck are you doing <laughs> literally you know we've poisoned everything everything about that scene is funny <laughs> and it's so weird I, I didn't find it funny but I get it's a long it's one of those classic long death sequences in a sense like I didn't time it properly but it wouldn't surprise me if that that his death scene Last like nine ten minutes. Well, if myth is correct, then Rasputin was uh, poisoned several times. Po- his cakes were poisoned. His wine was poisoned. That that was in the film, and then he shot uh, at least three times. One of which was in the head. Then he's turfed off uh, a bridge or whatever into a river, and then he drowns <laughs> uh, because there were. So I think it's hypocritical. Uh, but there were things like, oh, Rasputin's, when they did the autopsy and found his body in the river, they found that he had water in his lungs, which suggests that he was still breathing when he was shot and dead <laughs> in the in the head. Um, but supposedly that isn't the case. And, you know, a lot of it is disputed because it's, uh, you know, the investigations aren't factual enough. I guess there's, there's accounts of the, the people who murdered him being forthright and saying what happened but the the supposed story is what they print in the film or put in the film and it's essentially fuck the poison's not working give it like give him some wine with some poison that isn't working fuck it i'll just shoot him then jesus christ he's still fighting back even though we thought he was dead 
and he you know ran out into the courtyard and they shot him at the gates basically trying to claim his way out to freedom and it works then as a mythological kind of Jesus style tale isn't he? he's like the the holy man who was had the, was imbued with the power of God that could rise again isn't it it's also what puts him over with the um, horror canon I suppose as well that uh, the unkillable nature yeah back him. in Dracula territory I also want to give him props for during I think it was when he was shot where he was shot he then KO'd everything off the top of a cabinet and fell down I like his last line was, oh, this is a nice cabinet, can I have it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty good. I've got a lot of patience for a death scene where someone manages to basically break an entire room on their way out. <laughs> yeah, and, and to, you know, do a, to rival Sean Connery for length uh, in, uh, like, The Untouchables. Mm-hmm. But, you know, more aplomb. He really, like, everything Rasputin did in this, he did with aplomb. Even his death was like, fuck it, right, I'm getting out of here. Yeah, climb the fence. <laughs> Claw through the fence, even when I've been shot again. Um, but yeah, it's, it's there's a kind of odd moment towards the end of the film, I guess, where once Alan Rickman's dumped in the river and gone, the movie carries on and it's like, right, so this is the sad stuff that happened when they rounded up the royal family and all of the revolution happened and basically a bunch of soldiers are just teleported into the the palace and the king and queen are like wandering around like hi guys a lot of you i'm just gonna go up to my bedroom oh you're gonna you're gonna intimidate me and try and get me to pick up a glove and all stare at me and i'm not gonna do it because my son's watching and i guess we'll just pop in our bedroom and cry and stuff (laughs) and it's like what's going on guys did you guys make it like I get that um, peasants stormed the palaces and killed the rich people, but what was with them all just being in there like a big like it was a big meeting room where they're all crowding around the king and whatnot? That is common to um, in war situations after you've taken over an area and everything's sort of finished. You've got this sort of listlessness where you don't really know what you're supposed to do next. No one's told you what to do next yet. So you're just sort of hanging about where you are. Yeah, I mean, obviously robbery would happen as well because you, like, it's all these poor people uh, and army men are just suddenly, or, and fighters are all in places. You, there's, a, there's obviously that moment where you're like, let's fucking rip all the gold from the walls and stuff. But I felt like, you know, in revolutionary France, it would be, I get the fucking prick, drag him off to the guillotine, right, now let's take over all the cool buildings. Whereas this was, we've taken over and they, they're our prisoners, but it's more we're being impolite than we're going to murder <laughs> them, you know? I don't know about the historical facts of it and quite what the timeline was. Obviously, they were executed by the end of the film and in real life. And so it's just the inevitable where we've captured you and you'll carry... Like, it's that weird... You're used to being allowed to do whatever you want. And now we've put you in a smaller box or cage of your of rooms and we're going to move you. And there's a lot of delaying before... It's like they don't just run in and kill the, the royals, you know? Yeah. I haven't really thought about it like that. But it didn't, I didn't pick up on it at the time. Anthony, what it's one. Of, it's one. Of, I think it's one of those cases of... This is how it happened in real life kind of thing. They weren't killed immediately. They were taken elsewhere and then uh, like executed. And whilst it, it would suit the film pace-wise, 
to have ended it pretty quickly after like Rasputin's death. I think it's it's too it's one of those things where it's too well known a fact. Yeah, the, the, you know like, what I mean? yeah. So, so they have to extend it to its natural conclusion. Yeah, they have to. They they make a point of this family. They're not just uh, killed by the revolutionary fighters and soldiers, but they the the, the outer. The outer ring of the royal family are just taken and killed, uh, and you just like aunties and loved ones and family members are killed, and you know about it, and you know it's probably coming for you, and you just have to accept the sad truth that, you know, this has happened to you and your family, and that w- the things you did or maybe didn't do have now affected, are now coming to bite you on the ass or whatever, and that you've lost, but now it's time to just be a prisoner, and, ex- you know deal with one hope that something was around the corner to give you at least maybe you can be banished maybe you can go to another country and live with some other relatives or maybe you'll just be killed but the most frustrating thing about it is that the guys who killed Rasputin they were exiled before the revolution so they didn't get assassinated it's I guess so I mean in this case you're sympathetic with Rasputin but you, know, you could definitely be like, oh, fuck Rasputin. I think that generally it's like, it's awful when anyone is killed. Like, you know, generally speaking, modern people are sympathetic. Like, well, we want you imprisoned or to be punished for your crimes, but you don't want everyone murdered. So no one really comes off of this good. Like, the communists uprising and whatnot seems good because revolution, but we also know what's around the corner for communism. <laughs> so that's terrible. And it's like, so there's no there's no person who's truly a hero or a villain in it. Which is true of real life, really, because like th- that's just the way life is nuanced and not black and white. So the film basically then just becomes this tragic story of this family who saw their relatives die, get moved to a smaller location, told they're having a photograph taken to prove they're alive, and then put to death by a bunch of men in you know mixed up coats and hats. It's just shot, you know. Um, I was that- such a cold and calculated way to get them to sit reasonably in a room. Yeah, because you don't want everyone, because if you're on your own, they could if they all decided in unison to like, fight back and run, not that they would, being aristocrats, but you want them to calmly accept their death by not telling them. They, but there's a sense that they could probably have figured it out if they wanted to. Not wanted to. I get, you know, no one, no one can imagine what it's like to be confronted with your own death like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, beca- it becomes this tragic thing at the end, where it's like, oh, wasn't this all sad? I guess that is all Russian stories ever. It's like, we have to end in double tragedy. <laughs> Russia's just, like, a magnet for sadness sometimes. But yeah, it's, they, I think one of the things I read was, uh, so Alexei, this is sl- they do a slight ambiguous thing, so the family are all shot, and we don't see, like, the killing bullet go into Alexei. He's still alive as we cut away or whatever. And the the point being that as he because he's the narrator and there was his uh, his remains were never found, but then they were found after the film was made was the idea, isn't it? So at the time of the film they could go, oh, did he did he get away like Anastasia, the mysterious Russian heir to the who cares? But is there a person out there? Did they get away? Was are they just a unfound victim? You know. So what do you guys would you think there's an ambiguity to it? Like he was obviously gonna be dead. Like there was no. It you know it, it kind of makes sense. I mean it's not it's not the myth of Anastasia, um, but it kind of does keep that 
kind of mythical, mysticalness of the story going at the end, I suppose. See, I didn't think it was ambiguous. I think they were just Not softening it a yeah. bit. Because you did then get the sky and Rasputin's voice. And it's like, I can't remember the words that he said, but it's something like, can you feel the pain? No. It was like, the kid wasn't in pain anymore. And I took it as that. Mm. The kid had died, but to an extent for him, it was a relief. Yeah, and again, to tie it back to Rasputin being this genuine healing figure that provided uh, optimism for a child in a very dire situation. Um, So if the child believed him like a child believes in Santa or something, then... Is that is that good in a way? But then it's just the the whole premise of the the film is: what if we tell it from Alexi's point of view and he believed in Rasputin, even if no one else does? Mm. So it makes sense to tie it back to Rasputin. Plus, it was a, it's called his it's named after him. And to end on the family thing is like a slightly different different issue, I guess. Mm. And then you get the obvious like uh, post film like at this point this body was found and they had the funeral and the communists and the orthodox church didn't think that was very cool but we've all sort of moved on now and stuff <laughs> and then you just go oh bloody hell horrible <laughs> Ooh. preferred the bit where Alan Rickman was drunk and dancing and cavorting <laughs> around acting like a tit uh, question for you Rich uh, did you enjoy all the flamboyant priestery going on. Not only did I enjoy the epic priest uh, very various resput- various outfits for Gregory uh, but also yeah loads of big bearded priests and orthodox looking uh, Russian Catholics but uh, also there was like a table of I think we have the odd uh, dining table or political table full of uh, you know Peep, just uh, people who are ba- making decisions about politics, and each mm. one of them were like, "Wow, look at the oh, Abby, the fucking one guy with the sideburns who passes by Rasputin at one point was incredible." Oh no, he was he was um, escorting him into the palace. He was like a butler or something. Ah, and he was just, was, I don't even know the... where to begin. You know, Crusty the clown's hair just yeah. migrated down the face. Into so lamb chops. <laughs> that was crazy, but yeah, there was a whole plethora of different moustaches and looks. It was it was a re- it was a wealth of like period drama, face furniture. So I enjoyed seeing an array of like people who were very just a lot of the people just just the way they look. You kind of take against them and they're kind of natural. Oh, the establishment bastards! <laughs> look at them with their crusty suits and their fucking stupid haircuts. You know. So yes, I did enjoy that. Thanks. <laughs> the only just a quick look in my notes. The phrase, the man, the man's as drunk as a boiled owl. Classic. <laughs> that is the best line. An owl, a boiled owl, is particularly drunk, though. So that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> boiled in rum. That soul argument that he had with the doctor was interesting. What, the get out of 
cavorting free card because, well, God wants your soul. I can, you know, get my cock out and... That's no, it. no, no, no. Uh, the bit where the uh, the, the, the doctor of of the the child says, "I've I've done like a hundred autopsies and I've never seen a soul," and then he goes, and then Rasputin goes, "Like, have you ever seen memories or emotions?" Oh yeah, like, that was nice. That's nice little like aha uh-huh, the justification for religion there. Hmm. Mm. Uh, where my finger at is that? I've got you by the not as ample balls. <laughs> ample balls? No, it's Spoon had a big penis, not big balls, Rich. Get it right. Uh, mm. When uh, the Prime Minister and the Doctor, I think it was, they'd sent two private detectives to watch Rasputin, and that was around the same time that he shagged that woman, and they were fighting over the binoculars to look through the window. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it has bits of levity, dark humour within, was quite an awful story, isn't it? It is there though, It is. there's a bit of fun to be had. I don't quite know how to put this one, but I've put down spiritual cousin to Weekend at Bernie's. Well, he I just... think that was when he was technically dead, but still walking. Oh, Weekend at, at Gregory's. Greg- <laughs> that would be Weekend at Gregory's would be good because uh, you wouldn't even need uh, Caribbean music to make you come back to life. Oh, that's weekend. <laughs> that's Weekend at Gregory's too. So it could, it could, yeah, it does fit in with the oh my god, the corpse is up again. But in this case, it was more of a like he survived a bullet wound, which is possible, um, and then got up and tried to escape. It wasn't like. Um, you know, some Russian peasants discovered his corpse and then brought him back to the palace and were, like, puppeteering his head, trying to put this... <laughs> there's putting his withered claw on the child. I'll heal him again! Oh, I love... I love booze and Jesus! Just, why is he got a... Why does... Why is Rasputin got a bandage around his head and sunglasses on? He definitely hasn't been shot in the eye, is he? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Gregory, I love you so much. I, I'm going to have sex with you despite you being freezing cold. You're still... Your penis is hard enough for me to get off on it now. I, I, maybe they could do it. Maybe they need to combine Weekend at Bernie's 2 with uh, Rasputin. I, I'm on board, Abby. Make, make, the, make it happen. <laughs> oh. Horrible. With that image in mind, uh, are we on to metaphors for what this film experience was like, or you know, last, last? I don't know if I know chance. enough Russian things. <laughs> yeah, it's basically Russian dolls, vodka, the Kremlin, <laughs> Vladimir Putin, mm. farmers, mm. <laughs> Stalin. I don't know. Because it was just good. I expected it to be good, and it was good. <laughs> I'm going to say my liking of it was the same liking where you go, oh, wow, look at this guy's beard. It's amazing. But then just because someone can grow a really good beard doesn't mean that as a person they're all that great. So for me, this was a really well-made peer drama. It's it sort of... Uh, it takes liberties with history, it doesn't get all the facts straight, and it is printing the myth. So it's like meeting someone, I, I guess it's like meeting someone who plays Santa, 
where, wow, Santa, great, and he's got like a big white epic beard, and it's brilliant, and you're like, but, you know, the more you scrutinise, the faker it seems, and the less accurate, and you go, oh, the truth is you're a bloke called Mitch from Florida, <laughs> not Santa. So it has that, the, you know, it's like, oh, cool, the myth of Rasputin, awesome, but the reality is not like this, so... You know, you're enjoying Father Christmas on Christmas Day, but the other three, uh, three, six, four days of the week, it's like, oh, it's a weird old man. And this film isn't very helpful for knowing the truth, but it is for enjoying the myth, I guess. So it's a bit like, yeah, Santa, how realistic is this? This is amazing. No, wrong. I guess guess. It's, it's a metaphor, if nothing else. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's 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 an enjoyable movie. Um, uh, really, I came I came for Alan Rickman, and I wasn't disappointed. Um, it did turn out like obviously, you know, it's the story of Rasputin, and it's going to be a bit dark and grim. Um, and uh, I I didn't quite expect it to be as harrowing at points. No. Um, when it was like uh, I, I, I thought like the little introduction where they're like digging up the bones and they have them all like laid out on the table was quite effective, um, and even the like the bit at the end where they're you know they're being led down slowly into the basement and then they're like shot and stuff, um, and then even stuff like you know um, when the kid gets like a nosebleed and it won't stop. Yeah. Um, and it's a weirdly tense scene. Where, oh, oh, like, the, actually, that scene in the like because they're at a big formal uh, engagement when the kid gets a nosebleed, doesn't he? Like they're in a palace mm-hmm. with loads of people in white formal wear and suits and like regalia, and it is just like the it's almost they play up on the shame of let's not show our son to be weak and let's cover it up, and mm-hmm. it, it becomes like a slowly as everyone realizes the boy's ill and going being led away. It's almost like we're. It's like it's a political scandal, and it's like, are you judgmental cunts? It's just a little boy with a nosebleed. You know, like, it's a very effective moment that we kind of glossed over, actually, so I'm glad you reminded us of it. What do you... Sorry, I interrupted what you were saying about it, though. Okay. Um, You know, I enjoyed those moments as much as, like, Rasputin's story and um, Alan Rickman's performance. Um, To to the point where I, I wouldn't mind kind of, like, watching, like, a whole documentary series on like uh, the Romanoffs um, I think it's quite an interesting story and I'd like to know more about it kind of thing Yeah. so if, if I was going to go for a metaphor it's um, it's like this is a like a, like, a, like a thin but delicious slice of like Russian history um, or maybe it's like a cake that is poisoned but instead mm. of poisoning you, you just help yourself to more because it isn't going to kill you. Turns <laughs> out you're immune. You, you, it's got your appetite, but now you can have some wine, which is a documentary. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Oh, but like, yeah, you've given like a slice, a very thin slice of something, but it's very delicious, uh, and it leaves you wanting more. So it's a fancy appetizer for more Rasputin-based uh, history mm. and stories. I've got one. Good. Because of how obscure it is, I, I think 
we were on holiday in Orkney when we came across this one tiny little museum that had a few little exhibits and it had a really well-made video of the history of the place. And you wouldn't know that it was there unless you'd been in this specific place at this specific time and just happened to look. So I feel like there's that sort of specialness to this where not many people have seen this. Like it was recognised at the time it won awards but it has since become obscure and it's undeserved. So those of us that do know, I feel like we're we're a little gang of like, yeah, we know about Rasputin. Yeah, it's good. Oh, so it's like uh, the few people who've all watched a really good documentary about Dylan Thomas in a little Swansea museum that no one goes to. Oh, that's yeah. really well produced <laughs> and enjoyable. I enjoy it. I really feel informed. But uh, shame no one's going to fucking come here. Maybe I'll write in the guest book. Yeah, so obscure gem, uh, unpoisoned dessert, or what did I say? No idea. Too busy thinking of your own metaphors. Oh, boss, I'm sorry. Some of our Santa beard. Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> or, you know, a, a, a fat man with a white beard who's got diabetes, but one time of the year he's pretty good. <laughs> he brings <laughs> He brings magic to children's hearts. When you're not yeah. thinking about the sad tragedy that lies behind the beard. I didn't say one time, maybe a month. Oh yeah, get a whole, you milk the whole month when you for Santa work. Anyway, we're just getting us thinking about Mick Foley documentary that we've already covered on the podcast. <laughs> so check that out if you fancy it. Um, but yeah, that was Rasputin. What did, you, what did you say the subtitle was called, Anthony? Dark Servant of Destiny. Dark Servant. How do you serve destiny? You just exist? Oh, Destiny, you want me to do stuff? Oh, I'll pop over there for you, yeah. But yeah, Dark Servant of Destiny. It is my destiny to make a boy feel better and then fuck people and eat cake and drink wine and be killed. Bollocks. Started a world war. Gutted. Not a very good destiny. I'd kind of re-roll. But then maybe Rasputin enjoyed the first bit. Not so much the last bit. Who cares? It's all done and dusted with. There'll be more tyrants being made just today, <laughs> waiting around the corner for us all. Dusted away, ended on such a downer. <laughs> We're all off to buy non poison donuts now and drink loads of wine. Hooray! Yay! The wine is also not poisoned, I hope, so. It's probably not even wine. No. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye.